And it's not like, uh, I mean, there's some very talented people on earth. You watch some of the talent shows on TV, whether it's The Voice or uh, American Idol or whatever it may be. But there's nothing like hearing someone that is God-gifted and God-called using God's gifts to bring Him glory. And I'm so thankful for those who are found faithful, especially here at Eastside. This morning, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And I uh, ask you to pray for us. It's been a, a busy weekend and it will continue throughout the day. But I look so forward to today. Don't, don't ever let us say, man, I'll be glad when today is over. Uh, God has a call on our life and we must spend every moment in seeking Him and to do exactly what I'm going to preach on this morning. And that is to magnify His holy name. To magnify Jesus. This morning we rehearse much as Lauren and Elena just did in singing of Emmanuel, singing of Jesus, God with us, Jehovah saves, magnifying Him in song. We hear Mary, the mother of Jesus, do exactly that. So read with me in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord, Mary said, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. He has regarded the lowly estate of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Has God done anything great for you? Then let us magnify him. He has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. My soul magnifies the Lord. There's a lot of people who can sing well, but there's something special when you know what and who you're singing about. Mary magnifies the Lord here in Luke 1. You see, this song bursts forth from a very joyful heart. In fact, this whole chapter is all about joy. I don't know about you, but I like joy. I like the joy of birthdays. I like the joy of birth. I, I even like the joy as we will do today and we did Friday in celebrating the homegoing of a faithful servant of the Lord. There's joy in the midst of sorrow. He said, weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. 
Elizabeth is joyful in the first part, in verse 39 through verse 45, in the fact that God had done in her what the flesh said couldn't be done. We see her unborn baby, John, who was alive in her womb, leap with joy. And then here we see the joy of Mary. David, under a death penalty from his own father-in-law. Now, I'm going to tell you, if there was anyone that had a reason to feel beat down, distraught, and dejected, it was David at this time. David had lost his best friend. David's own father-in-law sought to have him killed. And another man sought to have him as well and saw him as crazy. And David began to feign himself crazy and began to slobber from his mouth and to talk uh, just irrationally to draw off their attention to take David in and have their will by taking his life. And God delivered David, much like he delivers us. Now, some of us act like David. But the truth is, David cried with great joy in his heart in the midst of such trial and tribulation. And on the run, in Psalm 34, verse 3, and read it with me right here. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Now that should be our heart today. So let's do it again and let's this time not do it with our eyes. Let's do it with our heart. Y'all ready? Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. You see, Moses cried out with great joy when he said, I will sing unto the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. This was through the Red Sea victory. Hannah, when God had answered her prayer and she was to conceive a child after her conception, she said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is lifted up by the Lord. My mouth boasts over my enemies because I rejoice. Lord, in your salvation. You see, each one of these composed joyous songs after their life-changing encounters with God. Have you ever had that encounter? I'm not talking about an aisle-walking, gum-chewing, card-filling-out experience. I'm talking about one of those life-changing, the life-changing moment when God reveals your lostness. There is no hope. There is no help outside of Him. Today, this morning, as I looked at my memories on Facebook, it popped up all of those that were baptized on this day six years ago. And a few are sitting here today. But several are not. They're all still alive in the flesh, but they're not here. Now some are working, some are doing things, and they would be here, but some are not. And I cannot tell you, except for what they told me when they professed Christ, 
But my friends, I'm afraid that too many people have head knowledge and no heart knowledge. They don't understand, and therefore there is no magnification of Jesus Christ. There is no true joy. If Christmas joy is just about the changing of the weather and the lights and the decorations and the presents, the joy will leak out like water in a broken vessel as soon as Christmas is over. Listen, this young mother-to-be proclaimed her joyful reverence to God Almighty. Now consider this young girl composing this deep, theologically correct song. It was saturated with Old Testament theology and concepts and phrases, just as we have already read to you what Moses had said and what Hannah had said, what David had said. It showed her deep conviction and separation from the world and her knowledge of Scripture. And it reveals a God who vindicates the downtrodden, ministers to the helpless. You see, when the angel visited Mary, it was in a town called Nazareth. I've been to Nazareth. And Nazareth at the time was a ghetto. It was where the poor folks lived. It was that side of the tracks. And this is where Mary grew up. Jesus was not born into the pedigree of this world, even though he was born into the lineage and is called the son of David. But it was not about pomp and circumstance. They didn't send out glorious announcements on parchment. No, that was reserved for the angels in glory as we sing about it. Glory to God in the highest That's just the truth. You see, after these two expectant cousins shared their exciting encounters, Mary, in a very soft and sweet voice, extols the virtue of God, of her salvation. The overwhelming theme, and from whence it gets the Latin term, magnificat anima, mea dominum, is my soul magnifies The Lord, the magnification of God. Now I want you to understand, Ethan and I were looking the other day at rifle scopes. And we were trying to compare them. There's so many, y'all know, uh, those that hunt, there's so many out there to try to compare what what kind of uh, uh, crosshairs and what's the magnification and how big it is and how much field of view and all of these things. Much like a scope on a gun or a set of really good binoculars or spotting scope, which magnifies what you're looking at. We need to understand in reality, it does not make the image bigger in life. It just magnifies and brings things into focus and clarity. You're looking at that animal that may be far off and you're spotting it and you zoom in and it brings clarity and you can see exactly what you're looking at. The truth is it didn't make that animal bigger. It's still the same size as it was. You see, it puts all the attention. It blocks out 
When you're looking through a scope, you close one eye. When you're binoculars, you have to put it so close that it blocks out the side views. While pitiful humans cannot make God bigger, we'll never make God bigger. We can magnify him by making him known. Bringing focus to Jesus. Bringing clarity in a very unclear world. Mary extols the work of God and makes him known to all generations. And in so doing, magnifies his name. Today, I ask you all to join me with those words of David. Let us magnify the Lord together. First of all, I want you to see in our text today how Mary rejoiced. Mary rejoiced in God's relationship with her. Mary rejoiced in her relationship with God. I want you to look with me in verse 47. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Has God ever done anything for you? Did you stop to rejoice in it? Now, we will when it's something really big, you know. When we're broke, we feel like we can't make ends meet, and all of a sudden comes through, boy, we praise the Lord. Or we hit the walk-off home run to win the game, or the three-pointer to put us into overtime. Oh, man. But what about when we lose by 30 do we still extol the name of the Lord because God gave us legs to play? Breath to breathe when we don't feel like playing. You see, Mary rejoiced because Jesus, the Lord above God, was her source of delight. It was her source of delight. That, that means in her soul, the immaterial part of us that relates to man. You see, my, my fellow man, I am bringing God's grace into focus for them. When I lift up Jesus, Mary was quite literally a soul winner. When we magnify the Lord, then we are showing the world Jesus saves. Because whether you know it or not, people remember your past. Now, thank God he does it when we confess it. But people remember Friday, people talk about their loved one. They talk about their past. When I sit down today, I will talk about that at the funeral of a dear friend and share some of the past and the nine years that I knew, knew him. Others will share even more. We stand around and we talk about those things here and there. But the greatest thing we could ever do, listen, parents, grandparents, hear me today. The greatest thing you can leave your family is to leave them no shadow of doubt that your delight was in the Lord. The preacher shouldn't have to dig hard. He shouldn't have to go and ask people, well, what do you think? whether it's me or someone else. Listen, why, why do we even need preachers at funerals? I thought about that this week. 
Shouldn't it be family members and loved ones who are proclaiming and extolling their delight in the Lord in knowing their loved one loved Jesus? The problem is the majority of the world doesn't know Jesus. That's why it's so important that the world sees our delight. It's in our spirit. That's the immaterial part of us that relates to God. To God I lift my praise when nobody else is watching, when I'm riding down the road, when my heart aches within me, my spirit groans. God hears me. Romans 8 says, he'll even pray for me when I don't even know how to pray. Don't you think that ought to be our delight? Listen, Mary's relationship with God was her source of life. Some have said erroneously that Mary had no sin. Mary did not think that. Obviously, Mary was a sinner for only sinners need a Savior. Right? There is no Mary without original sin. There is no co-redemptrix. Can I tell you something? Jesus is the only one that can save you. Jesus is the only one that can keep you. And Jesus is the only one you can go through to get to the Father. That's it. I don't mean that as hateful toward anyone else, but false doctrine has been pervaded over mankind for so long that people think they can get to God any way they want. Thus, anybody can get to God any way they want. And as long as you're sincere, it'll be all right. I'm going to tell you, sincerity will take you straight to hell. If you do not confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and come before the throne of God in His grace and mercy, it, it was her source of life. Now consider the people who need a Savior. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Having come, having come in, the angel said, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. She was blessed, but because she had placed her faith in her God, she didn't fully comprehend the whole picture of what was going to happen. But one thing she knew, God was God and no one else was. She was a woman of faith. She was a woman of scripture. And when I say woman, I'm not talking about a 50-year-old woman. I'm not talking about a 65-year-old woman. I'm not even talking about a 25-year-old know-it-all young lady. I'm talking about a young, young, probably 14 to 16-year-old, but one who had grew up with her head bowed and her heart open. And she understood there was no source of life without God. John, John, it says, Assuredly, Jesus said, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Yet John the Baptist proclaimed that he was not even worthy to unloose the, uh, the latchet on the sandals of Jesus. That he must decrease so that Jesus must increase. I'm going to tell you once again, we're not that big of a deal. We will never measure up 
The world says, oh, if you will achieve this, and it sets a standard, and it sets a pecking order. If you make this much, and you build this kind of house, and you drive this kind of truck, and you have this kind of SUV, then you measure up. If you went to this school, and you have this kind of education, and then you're in this career field, I'm telling you, the only way to measure up is to fall down in your face and cry, Father, forgive me, for I am a sinner. Listen, what are the chances that you need a Savior? Well, unless you're perfect. I've met some people who were convinced of it. But I'm going to tell you, if Mary needed him, John needed him, you and I need him. Listen, her, her rejoicing was reflected in her humility. Look at verse 48. For he hath regarded the lowly estate of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. Now she wasn't bowed up with her chin up in the air saying, look, everybody's going to call me blessed. My name's going to be in all the local Jerusalem Post and every other newspaper in the world. They'll hear about me in Egypt and Syria. No, she was saying, hey, I am a lowly Made sermon. I don't deserve this. I, I wasn't raised at the king's table. I don't deserve any of this. While Mary is not afraid of God, she is yet humble. We're not to be afraid. We're to come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find help in time of need. The problem is you can't come to God with unconfessed sin. You've got to be right with God. You can't bear grudges. You can't hate people and come and love God. You can't do it. And Mary came with great humility. Listen, she was humble and in submission to God in every area of her life, including in the things that would cause her inconvenience and misunderstanding. She epitomizes the attitude of a true believer. She demonstrated the opposite character traits of the Pharisees of the day who were so pompous, arrogant, self-righteous, and condescending. Church, let that never be said of us. That we're never, ever too good to love and to magnify the name of Jesus. Nowhere in scripture does the Bible say magnify yourself. Matter of fact, in the days of, uh, of the great charismatic movement, back in the 90s, early 2000s, the big Holy Ghost revivals where they were drunk in the spirit and all this kinds of stuff, where all the attention was put on the sign gifts of the spirit. Hear me today. Nowhere, nowhere, I challenge anyone in this room to find it and show me in the scripture. There is never a place in God's word where the spirit draws attention to himself. The Holy Spirit is here and was there and will be for one purpose. And that is to point to the Son of, Jesus, uh, Son of God. The spirit spoke in Mary. The Spirit moved in Jesus coming down 
in the form of a dove. The Spirit moved on the Mount of Pentecost and great power fell. The Spirit convicted and convinced those in the early church and moved through Ephesus and through Thyatira and Smyrna. It moved through Colossae and Corinth. The Holy Spirit convicted me in 1972. God, for Christ's sake, forgave me of my sins, saved me, and the Spirit inrushed my life, taking that which was dead and sealed my soul and gave me eternal life. That's how it works. May we always magnify in humility. But then it's revealed in power and holiness. Verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. For he, so let's think about this. He's done great things, but there's a prerequisite, right? Right? Last night, I watched one of the top ranked teams fall. For all you Georgia fans, I enjoyed it along with you. It was a great day. Oh, how the mighty had fallen. I watched Clemson get beat by Notre Dame. I've watched throughout my life the great upsets. And I know you Georgia Southern fans don't going to like to hear this, but hold on. One of the greatest upsets of all time was App State beating Michigan. And I don't think they give enough attention to when Georgia Southern beat Florida. Great upsets. You've seen it in basketball. We've seen wild cards in football end up winning Super Bowls. Green Bay did it one year, not too many years ago. And they always refer to it as David and Goliath. The truth is, listen, great things can happen when you worship a great God. But don't expect great things when your worship is on the idol's that are much less than God. It's kind of the Elijah Baal prophet scenario. Elijah, God. Baal prophets, Baal. And we know how that worked out. God reveals his power and holiness in our life when we're submitted to him. Listen, God's power drives out fear. It initiates love. It results in our ability to have sound judgment. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. My friends, we must allow God to have full control if we expect to see God's great power and holiness in our lives and in our church's life. There is, without a doubt, no end to what God could do here in Eastside, in Claxton, in Evans County, Bullock County, Tattnall County, Bryan County, the state of Georgia, the United States and the world, if God's people who are called by his name would humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, God can do great things.
God can do great things, church. That's why it's not just called the awakening. It's not called the second awakening. It's called the great awakening because when God blows in, it's always great. But then I want you to notice Mary rejoiced in God's relationship with the world. Now this is big. It said in verse 50, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. I shared with you the other day, I've showed a few, my great-grandfather's Bible. Dated 1919. And that word is exactly word for word, the same Bible that I read out of today. The faith that my great-grandfather had and my grandfather had and my father had, I pray is within me. But the truth is, it is in the fact that our faith was in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and Him alone. You see, His mercy is universal. I've been to some really cool places on this earth. Now, I'm not done. Emily's just like her daddy. We're sitting on G waiting on O. I don't care. We're ready to go. We've been to Haiti to the poorest country in this, hem this side of the hemisphere. This, this, this hemisphere, poorest country. Absolute destitute. From earthquakes, hurricanes, and politics. Millions have died. And they're starving. And it is the most miserable place I've ever been. I've been to the islands of Jamaica and the Bahamas and through the Caribbean, Puerto Rico. And I've seen Baptist churches and I've met with them. And I'm going to tell you, I think once you join, you are saved in a Baptist church. You're saved here. I think the first thing, you know, this is one thing the Mormons kind of may have right. They sent them out on mission for two years. Not that they have much right. And the, big, the major thing, they don't have even close to right. But the truth is, it would do us well if every time someone was saved and baptized, we immediately put them on a plane and sent them, starting off in Jamaica, leave Jamaica, go to Central America, and maybe from there go to Europe, but let them experience worship there before they ever start experiencing worship here. Maybe we would get out of the idea that we are supposed to sing three, maybe four songs, have a message certain time, start at certain time, be over at a certain time. Listen, when you go to those places, the preacher got me one night, we were in Jamaica, and I told him, I said, man, I love jerk pork. And I know that's why I love being a Baptist because the rest of man don't eat pork. Baptists eat pork. And he said, I'll bring you some jerk pork. And so we're in the church one night and they begin to sing. Now, they didn't have cushion chairs. Matter of fact, they didn't have chairs. They were one by slats, three on the bottom and one about this high up the back. I think it may be on purpose. I don't know. But it's not comfortable sitting there very long. So they begin to sing. And when they sing, they clap every song, every song. It's a rhythm. You got to do your arms big. I mean, it's full on. You've heard jazzercise. This is gospel size. It's a full aerobic workout when you worship in Jamaica. Well, we're sitting there. The pastor comes to the, and I was going to say a door, but it's just an opening. 
And, he said, and I'm sitting right here. He's over here. And he said, hey, come here. So okay. I went out there and he said, look what I have. I said, oh, man, that's great. I get done preaching tonight. He said, no, no, you eat now. I said, oh, no, I can't. Oh, no, you got to eat. It's warm. I said, what they're singing, I mean, he said, oh, no, we got time. And so it began at 7. And they were still singing at 7.45. I'm outside. He's brought loaf bread and jerk pork. And I got one in each hand. Becky's looking around. She said, where's my husband? They done snatched my husband. She sent somebody out looking for me. I said, I'm good. At 8.15, 8.20, we went back in. Sing, they're singing the whole time. Man, you could hear it over the mountain. We come back in, and I began to preach somewhere around 8.20, 8.30. And I don't know what time we got done. I said, well, if I can sing that long, see, it's their fault. I preached. My point is, when God moves, it doesn't matter where you're at because God is universal. He saves in the gypsy villages of the Ukraine people who have been rejected by every other person on this earth. We have been in the house churches and in the schools of Guatemala and in Honduras. I've been through the valleys there and in the mountains of Nicaragua and seen those places. I've been to some places on this earth up through where we sent those backpacks. Do you understand that seven out of the ten poorest Counties in, Georgia, uh, in, in America are on that Appalachian kind of, not on the trail, but close to the trail, but in that Appalachian region between North Georgia and Virginia. Seven of the ten poorest counties in the, in the United States. That's why you pack those backpacks. Because God's love is universal. And he cares for the people who are living in the broke down mining towns. In those towns in America where the mills closed 40 years ago. And there is no industry. And the people are broke and hungry. Mary understood his mercy is universal. But it is conditional. He says it's for them that fear him. But this is what's cool. His power is unlimited. Y'all believe that? I mean, for real, for real. Unlimited. That God can do exactly what he wants, when he wants, and how he wants it. You see, it said he had shown strength with his arm in verse 51. In one place in the Old Testament, it talks about his finger. One place he, writ, he wrote on the wall, you remember that? You have been weighed in the balances and are found wanting. In another place, it talks about the great hand of God, God reaching down and helping. But here, Mary goes all the way up and says, he has shown strength with his arm. Daniel Whitby said, God's great power is represented by his finger is greater represented by his hand, but greatest by his arm. You see, it's great power. We saw that with the plagues in Egypt. 
We saw it as God struck down the Egyptians. We see it all through Scripture. You need to understand, Jesus was 100% man, and yes, we look at that manger, but we also look at the cross, and we look at everything in between. Because Jesus was 100% man, he was also 100% God. And let me tell you what that entails. It means he was and is all of God's attributes incarnate. Love, mercy, Joy, power, authority, justice. Jesus is God. And he was God in the flesh. Mary held God. God, you know why the, the rabbis were blown away when he was 12 years old and he blew their mind? Because he was God. God was, yeah. He's like, hey, I wrote it. Y'all just need to listen. That was always astonishing to me. One time it, it really hit me when Jesus is quoting the Old Testament. He's just saying, let me tell you what I told him 3,000 years ago. Because he said it, right? He is the word. It is unlimited in his power. We can be sure that Christ, God's greatest power, Show mercy and rescue his people from all of our enemies. This is not all there is, church. I don't know what's going to happen with the lawsuits and the Supreme Court. And I've seen stuff and I've been let down by a lot of that stuff. But I'm here to tell you. It does not matter. And there, I, I, I saw an article. I won't read them. But I saw an article posted by a very liberal News outlet. It says, bad news for evangelicals. God doesn't need Trump in the White House. And I thought, y'all bunch of ignorant, backwoods, not knowing what you're thinking. Not backwoods, big city. How about that? Backwoods ones got the sense. We never thought we needed God uh, uh, we needed Trump to start with. We felt like that he was the right man for the right time. Sure beats someone that believes in killing babies and letting eight-year-olds decide what gender they are. That provides more religious freedom than any other president in the past. But we never depended on Trump for our salvation and we won't depend on any others. We never thought that to start with. So I've got good news God trumps them all. The arms of God stretched out on a cross. God in the flesh. Which became the greatest act of power this world will ever know. We see that as submission. Oh, how can God be sovereign and people be dying and starving to death? That doesn't equate. I'm here to tell you, God has let mankind make a mess of it because God will never force man to love him. And the greatest act of sovereignty is to allow man to have free will. But make no mistake about it, man's free will has consequences. If you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. Now you have a choice. But in that choice, there's always consequences. And parents, when you rescue your child, 
when you snatch them up and your kid never does anything wrong in front of the teacher, in front of the coach, in front of anyone else, I'm telling you, you are sowing in the wrong field. When you never allow them to fail, when you never allow them to have a wreck on a bike, when you never allow them to lose at a game, you're teaching them the wrong things because in this life, it's full of failures. It's full of trials and tribulations. But with Jesus, there's victory. And our victory is on the other side. Finally, Mary rejoiced in God's relationship with his covenant people. He rejoiced. She rejoiced in God's relationship. Look in verse 54. Now this is very important. I want you to see this. In verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Do you remember what the first verse of Romans 10, now we, we quote Romans 3.23 and 6.23 and Romans 10.9 or 10.13 as the Roman road, right? The Romans road. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And whosoever believeth in their heart and confesseth with their mouth that Jesus is Christ shall be saved. We confess that, right? Well, verse 1, Paul says, My heart, my desire, my yearning, everything about me is that Israel would be saved. This week, this past week, they began celebrating Hanukkah. And I love my Jewish friends. Almost a year ago, 11 months ago, I sat in an Orthodox Jew's home on a Friday night. Right after the sun had went down, cold, cold, rainy Friday night. And we went into this Orthodox Jewish home of who the wife of the home was a daughter of a rabbi. And we sat down and had the Seder, the supper in preparation for the Sabbath. And it was, it was a wonderful time to see the significance. Listen, they, you think it's, it's long in worship. You ought to go and sit through where they sing a song for everything they eat. But it's worth singing that song to get what they had. The bread, the juice, everything means something to them. Because it's God bringing them out of bondage. It's God them remembering the death angel came through Egypt. And God provided salvation. When's the last time you sat down and took time we say we return thanks or we, get, we say grace? I'm going to tell you something. We need to sit down and teach our kids through the gloriousness of the scripture how Jesus, for Christ's sake, God passed over us when we had the blood applied. But they can have all the satyrs they want. But the blood of Egypt will not suffice the blood of Jesus. My friends, she rejoiced because of his covenant relationship with Israel. You see right there, he has helped his servant Israel. It started in Genesis 3, 15, when, he, when God prophesied by cursing Satan and saying, I'll put division between you and the woman, speaking of Mary, and between your seed and her seed, the incorruptible seed that was there by the overshadowing of the Spirit. God's Word says so. 
He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It said in the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, verse 3, I will bless those who bless you. Remember that when you vote. I will bless those who bless you. I told you, as we walked into the Wailing Wall, there the original stones from the temple, it's all the, the base of the temple, those stones are there and that's where the Orthodox Jews go to pray. But that's not all they do there. Anytime you enlist or re-enlist in the military in Israel, you go and you, everybody, you don't enlist. You just take your pledge. Everybody goes in, women and men alike. They're on to something, by the way, because they take great pride in their country. Nobody has pride in their country like they do. But when they take their oath, they go to the wailing wall to remember what they're fighting for. They remember but as we went to go and go to the wall and pray, there were soldiers there and there were thousands of rucksacks out there. And they left two soldiers there with the rucksacks while everybody else had gone down to take their oath. And as we walked by, they looked up, we looked down and we waved. They were kind of in this lower area as we walked around. And when we waved, they said, Americans, Used to, I was really proud of that. And then we went through a time where I said, oh, I don't know if I want to say that or not. I said, yeah, Americans. They went, USA, USA. And I'm like, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, USA. Because listen, I understand through the Abrahamic covenant, when we bless them and we trust God, God blesses us. He said, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. But then, God's new covenant with the church. Listen, Mary didn't fully understand this. But she rejoiced that God had a future and she was part of the plan. In that, listen, he said... I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and the generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Likewise, he also took the cup, it says in Luke 22. And we will be doing that tonight. And may I say, if you've got any questions, this is the service you don't want to miss. This is when believers get to worship interactively, being obedient, if you have any question whether you ought to come tonight or not, ask yourself, did Jesus tell me to do it? Yes. Then come. Is he bigger than anything else? Yes. Is he able to protect me? Yes. And we're going to do our, our due diligence. We've ordered the cups that have, they're sealed. Every single one of them, we're not pouring any juice. We're not breaking any bread. The bread's in the bottom of the cup. It's cool. It's like a, an hourglass, you flip it over and you peel it off and you get your wafer out. Then when it's time, you flip it back over, you peel it off and you have your juice. Now don't get it backwards or you'll make a mess. Wonder who'll be the first one that does that tonight. But that will be all right too. I want you to know something. It's not just about 
piece of unleavened or stale bread. It's not just about some grape juice. He said he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. As oft as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Mary may not have fully understood God's new relationship with the church of Jesus Christ, but through her faith, she would soon become a part of it. Listen to me as they come to the instruments this morning. The baby Jesus, that baby was literally formed inside of Mary when she was a virgin. But in a spiritual sense, hear me now, in a spiritual sense, he desires to be formed inside each of us. God made this clear when he had Paul write to the church at Galatia, my little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Do you have anything to magnify today? Is there anything that needs to be focused on? Is there anything about Jesus that is out of focus and there is no clarity? And today you need to pray and say, oh God, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. But Lord, I've allowed time to blur my vision. I've allowed the things of this earth to cloud what the world sees in me. If the world had to pronounce today a verdict on your life, would they be able to say without a doubt, you magnified Christ. I could see Jesus in you. Or would it be, eh, don't know. What is it? If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you may have a form of godliness, but you're denying that power. It's time to ask the Lord to come into your life, forgive you, cleanse you, and make you whole. Remember, as Mary said, I do magnify the Lord, she rejoiced in her relationship with Him. She rejoiced in God's relationship with the world, and she rejoiced God's relationship with His covenant people. Church, He has covenanted the new covenant with us. The Bible says that a Jew now is not one circumcised outwardly of the flesh, but inwardly of the heart. God has cut away all sin and tore down the middle wall of partition. Can you rejoice in God's relationship with you? If you cannot, allow Him to be formed in you this morning. Will you magnify Christ in Him? Will you do so in this Christmas season? And finally, Beyond all things, can we once again in our spirit say, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Let that be our prayer today. Stand and come. Come to him and magnify him. Ask the Lord to magnify himself in you. Come.